Welcome to Anchor Point, where we believe that the next 30 minutes could change your life forever. So join us to consider the greatest message ever heard, the good news of the gospel, as well as sound scriptural teaching for believers, all based on the Word of God, the anchor for our souls. Anyone who has ever had to stand before a judge knows how uncomfortable and even terrifying it can be, even more so when you know that you're guilty, that you have no case, that you are at the mercy of the judge's pronouncement. If we cringe at the thought of an earthly judge, how much more should we be concerned about a heavenly one, the one who decides our soul's ultimate destiny? Yes, this judge is Christ himself, the very one against whom you have sinned, the very one you have rejected. It's a solemn thought. In today's message, evangelist and missionary to Chile, Andrew Klug, takes a look at this courtroom situation. The fact that we are all guilty as charged goes about saying. But what will the judge do? What kind of judge is he? Well, we know first of all that this judge knows everything about us. And we also know that he won't be deceived, tricked, or bribed. But here's the best quality of all. This judge loves us and longs to forgive us of our sins. We hope that you will stay with us to hear what the righteous judge can do for you. I want to talk a little bit about judges in Scripture here. The biggest judge, of course, being God himself. And that. One day, every one of us will have to give an answer. You will have to give an answer. You will have to stand before this holy God. The scriptures helps us to understand what our situation is. In German, there's an old saying that where there is no accused, there is no judge. Where there is no one accused of a crime, there is no judge. The judge has nothing to do if there is no crime involved, that there's nothing to decide. But that's not our case. But when we come to God, we're coming before a judge who is all-powerful and all-knowing, who knows you inside out from the day you were born and before. And yet he's a judge, he's a, he's a God that loves you. He knows your condition and he wants to do for you what he knows is your very biggest need. And that is to deal with this problem, this accusation that is against you of sin. Now let's read in Romans 3 a little bit. We have to read in Romans 3 a little bit to understand this. Romans chapter 3, verse 9, here it says, What then? Are we better than they? No, no wise. For we have before proved, both Jews and Gentiles, that they are all under sin. Now that phrase has got to be burned into your heart tonight. They are all under sin. We are all under sin. Many will try to tell us that they are over sin that they are in control of their lives, that they are in control of what they do. And if they commit sin, it's because they want to, it's because they enjoy it, because they want to do it. And that's not what Scripture says. Scripture says that they are all under sin. We are all under sin. We are all under the control of sin. You are under the control of sin. Sin controls, and that's really easy to prove. How many times have you 
regretted something? How many times have you wished you hadn't done something? How many times have you wished to change something in your life? And you find that you don't have the power not to. Sin controls, sin enslaves, sin takes control of the person. Sin is powerful because we are all under sin. And that is your condition tonight before this holy God. Under sin. The slavery of sin. And when this accusation starts to come in and sink into the heart, then there are a couple things you can do. You can ignore it. You can try to ignore it. And live a life torment of guilt. Or you can come and stand and make your case before the judge. And that's what we want to read tonight about two men. Two men who came under a certain conviction of sin, a certain awareness that they had to stand before this holy God. And they come into a courtroom, we could say, and they come and stand before God, the judge, and they come with two very different defenses. They're both accused. They both feel in their heart a certain accusation. But their defense, in both cases, is very different. So let's turn to Luke 18 to read that. Luke 18, reading about these two men that were brought before the judge. Luke 18, verse 9, He spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Okay, this parable was spoken to those who trusted in themselves that they were okay, that they were righteous, that they were okay. At the same time, they despised others. Now, those two things always go hand in hand. You cannot think you're okay without looking for support. And the support will be, well, I'm better than him. Now, you've done that, and I've done that. It's easy to find someone who is, who is, you know, not as good as I am, and that proves that I'm okay because I'm better than him. This parable was spoken to those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, but despised others. Now, the problem with that, of course, is that in choosing someone whom, whom you see is not as good as you are, and so that proves that you are okay because you're better, you've made a choice of not choosing someone who is better than you. Because if you choose someone who is better, more righteous than you, what's going to happen? Well, you'll feel accused, and that's not what you want. It's not nice to feel accused. It's not nice to feel that you're not okay. We want to look after our image. We want the world to look upon us as, as good people, as good children, and, and so we protect our image. But when it becomes very apparent, you know, I was often thinking about the Lord Jesus. He's born into a family. He has brothers and sisters. And they're all like us. They're all sinners. And he wasn't. He was perfect. He was righteous. He always obeyed. He always did what was right. He never said a bad word. He never ran with his brothers and sisters and did things that were dishonorable to their parents. So what would happen here? You'd have one child among three or four or five or six. You'd have one child who was perfect in his obedience. And the rest, they had problems with that. Just like you and me. I mean, we've had problems, though, being obeying our parents, right? Okay. Now, how would that make them look? It shines a light on their disobedience. And it makes them feel bad. And we don't like to feel bad. So what we do? We compare ourselves with those who aren't quite as good. This parable was spoken to those who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and despised others. So two men went up into the temple to pray. 
The one a Pharisee and the other a publican. So we have two men, two very different men. One's a Pharisee. The Lord didn't have very nice things to say about Pharisees. When the Lord spoke about Pharisees, he spoke about graves. Graves that were painted over. Graves that, from the outside, they looked all right because there was a nice veneer. There was a nice paint job done. But inside, what were they? Dead man's bones. Death. Corruption. Smell. Inside. The smell of corruption. That's what they were inside. And they covered up that inside by painting the outside. And that was the Pharisee. And then there was a publican. If there was anyone despised, it was the publican. He was a real bad man. He was a man that would steal from your grandmother. He was a man that would make himself rich at the expense of others. He was a man that had the power of Rome behind him to charge taxes. And he would take more than what was due and make himself rich. It was such an unjust, unfair system. The Jews would hate these other Jews that worked for the Romans. And they would go by their homes, their, their big mansions, and they would just wish they could rip that mansion down. But Rome was protecting these publicans. They were despised. Publicans that were despised. Okay, so we have a man, self-righteous, with an image he's portraying to the world, and inside, rottenness. And here we have a man, another man, despised by all for his fraud. These two men went up in the temple. And this is the amazing thing. You could understand a Pharisee going up in the temple. He's a religious man. He goes up in the temple to pray. But the publican, what's he doing in the temple? What has happened to the publican? Why would he approach God? Well, this is the amazing thing about God how God reaches out to people in need, and how God wants to reach out to you tonight. You're in need. You are under sin. You are under the control of sin. Don't kid yourself. You are not free from it. You're not free from that power. Pharisee and the publican, they both went up to pray. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican, I fast twice in the week, I give tithes of all that I possess. And that was his defense. That's the defense of himself he presents before God. I, I, I. Look, God, at what I am. Look, God, at what I'm doing. Look, God, how good I am, person I am. That's his defense. And you know what? I'm afraid there's more than one here. And you up to now have had the same defense before God. There is a certain accusation you feel in your heart. There is a certain responsibility you feel in your heart towards God. Awareness of God that you have to meet God. You have to deal with God. And your defense is, God, I'm a good person. God, I do my very best. God, you have to, you have to, you have to realize that I, I try hard. God, you have to realize that that I'm not as bad as my neighbor. I'm better than my neighbor. Look at what he has done. Look at how he has treated me so unfairly and unjustly. Is that your defense tonight? That was this man's defense. Stood and prayed thus with himself. How pathetic. How pathetic. A man who prays not with God. He prays with himself. God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are. And he can see the faults in others. He can see extortioners. He's looking at the publican, maybe. 
like this extortioner, despising this man beside him, made in the image of God. I fast twice in a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. We deal a lot with this down in Chile. People who insist that to be saved, you have to give your tithes. And, and I often think the only time in Scripture where tithes are mentioned in the New Testament, that's right here. A man who presents his tithe giving as a reason why God has to accept him, as a reason why God has to show mercy. Because he gives tithes. Because he gives 10% of his earnings. Now that could be quite a bit for some people, to give 10% of your earnings. For others, it might be very little. This man presents these arguments as the reason why God must accept him. Because he's good. He's not getting it. He's not getting the fact that he also is under sin. He also is under the control of sin, the power of sin. The message Paul presents in Romans in that legal presentation of the gospel. All are under sin. You, friend, tonight are in that position. Under the punishment of sin. This man didn't get it. And then there's this publican. And for some strange reason, by some miracle of the grace of God, this publican feels the need to go into the presence of God. It's not unlike the prodigal son. The prodigal son says he came to himself. There was a moment in his deep, deep despair when he came to himself. Something happened, something went click. The grace of God somehow reached into that man's heart at that desperate moment, and he turned around. There was a turning around. There was a complete 180-degree turnaround and a confession of sin. Oh, how hard it is for a man, for a woman to reach that point. That point of confession, I have sinned. Have you been there? Have you been able to come before God in the quietness of your heart and in the misery of the guilt that, that sin produces in the life under sin, under the guilt of sin, under the power of sin, under the destiny of sin? God, I have sinned. The prodigal son got there. This man got there. Why? What happened? Well, this is the mystery that we have a hard time explaining and understanding. But those of us who have come to this moment We've all realized it. Yeah. I came to an end of myself. Self had to die. There was no more presenting myself as, as something that God had to accept. This man came to that point. The publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, be merciful to me, smiting upon his breast, standing afar off, not even lifting his eyes to heaven, with the humility that only the conviction of sin can bring to a man as he stands before a holy God, convicted, with nothing to offer, with his mouth stopped. The mouth stopped. Yet The mouth not being used to defend yourself but to say, God, you're right, and I'm wrong. His mouth was stopped, not like the Pharisee. His mouth was wide open, giving himself praise before God. The publican cried for mercy. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You know, mercy, mercy is asking for what I don't deserve. Have you ever done that with God? Have you ever asked God for what you don't deserve? 
Have you ever realized that you don't deserve his salvation? Have you ever realized that accused before God, you stand guilty before God, and you don't deserve, I never deserve, no one here has ever deserved salvation. It is the mercy of God. It is his grace that is free, that extends out at great cost. God be merciful to me, a sinner. Look, what I need is mercy. I have nothing to offer you, God. I have nothing here in my hands to show you. I have nothing to prove that I've been a good person. I have sinned. I have offended you. I am guilty before you. And that's your condition. Under sin. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified. I tell you, this man went down to his house declared righteous before God. God declared that man that day righteous. God declared at that moment, the man that confessed his need, he had nothing to offer, and his only hope was in the mercy of God. And on that basis, God could declare him righteous. God could forgive him his sin. God could give him salvation. But at what cost? I think some have heard the story of of the two boys that were raised together. They played in the street together. They went off to school together. The one went towards university. The other went towards a life of crime. And the one that went towards university became a lawyer and then became a judge. And years later, the two friends faced each other in court. The one who went towards crime was caught, was accused, was guilty. And the one who became a judge, there he was. He was looking at his friend's face. They had played together. They had had fun together. They were raised in the same street together. And the judge had to decide, what's he going to do? If he applies the law, his friend is going to go to prison for a long time. But he has no choice. If he became judge, it was to apply the law righteously. He had to do it. And so what's he do? Story goes, he, the judge lays down the sentence. A maximum fine had to be paid. The maximum. It wasn't lenient in any way. The maximum fine had to be paid. And the crowd gasped. He could have been more lenient. He could have been more more kind towards his friend. He steps off his judge's seat, takes off his robe. He comes and stands down beside his friend. And he says, I will pay for you. And he paid the debt of his friend. He paid it in full. So what does that mean? That means his friend can go free. That means his friend didn't have to pay that debt. That means his friend received mercy that day, received what he didn't deserve. He deserved a sentence. He deserved to have to pay this tremendous fine. But someone else came and stood beside him and paid for it. We're here to tell you about God the judge before whom you stand, before whom you are guilty tonight. And we're here to tell you about how that same God the judge came into this world as a man and went all the way to the cross of Calvary. That on the cross of Calvary, he might take upon himself your guilt, your sentence, what you deserve. That he might make himself responsible and pay But we're not talking about a debt of money, a few thousand dollars, or a few hundred thousand dollars, or a a million dollars. We're talking about a debt that is so large that for a man to pay it, it's a lost eternity. 
hell like a fire forever. And this God, he steps down from his throne in heaven and he makes himself a man and he goes to the cross and he takes upon himself the fire of God's wrath against sin. Your sin, not his, your sin, my sin. He takes it upon himself. God pours out upon him that wrath. How unfair, how unjust. But that's the love of God to you tonight. Why? Why do you let it pass by one more time? Why will you not respond to that love tonight, that love of God? You stand before Him under sin. You stand before Him as guilty. What are you presenting to Him? What are you trying to show to God? What is your defense before this holy God? The Pharisee, the one who was like a sepulcher, painted nice and beautiful, but inside, corruption. Well, that's not what you're trying to do tonight with God. There's no one here that foolish that would try to present to God tonight a veneer of niceness. You know very well that in behind that heart, inside that heart, what there is. And God knows. Come as this other man. Come as this publican. Let God do that miracle of grace in your heart to be drawn to the Savior who on that cross died. Confess. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I need the mercy of I need the salvation. I have nothing to offer you, O God. I need your mercy. I need your salvation. And I want to be saved. Yes, God found a way for justice to be reconciled with mercy. He took the payment and judgment for sin upon himself. Hard to believe? Not when you know the God of the Bible. He sent His only Son, Jesus Christ, to pay the penalty of sin, suffering, and death, so that we might go free. Have you received His great offer? If this or any of our Bible messages here at Anchor Point has made you aware of God's interest in you, or if you'd like some literature or a visit that would help you to understand these important truths, why don't you drop us a line at email? At anchorpointradio.com, we'd love to hear from you. We're glad that you were able to join us at Anchor Point today. Anchor Point is sponsored by Christians who are meeting in various gospel halls. Each of these Christian assemblies holds gospel services every Sunday night, as well as regular prayer and Bible studies throughout the week. No collection is ever taken, and the very warm welcome awaits you. And if you've been challenged by today's message, would like to know more about the truth of the gospel, or of gathering under the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, following New Testament principles, please feel free to check out our website at anchorpointradio.com. There you will find more information, as well as the location, programs, and meeting schedules for the Gospel Hall nearest you. Also, feel free to take a look at other literature and audio offers at anchorpointradio.com, where you can also subscribe to our Anchor Point podcast. My name is John Sharp, and thank you once again for listening. And we invite you to join us again next week at the same time for Anchor Point, where we believe that in times like these, you need a Savior. And in times like these, you need an anchor.